I'm going to start sharing with you all of this weekend. I'm going to talk about Paul's secrets to happiness. And this is primarily going to be a study in the book of Philippians. But I want to give you a little bit of background on this right before we get into Philippians. So let's turn over to Acts chapter 16. And this is the Acts account of when Paul went to Philippians. And I've written down 20 things from the book of Philippians that kind of reveal Paul's secrets about why he was so happy. You know, let me first of all say some of you may think, well, I've never thought of Paul as being a real happy person. Paul talked about he travailed in birth. There was times that he got harsh with people and rebuked them. There was times that he talked about all that he had suffered for the Lord. And yet think about this. In the book of Philippians, there are 16 times that the word joy and rejoice are used. 16 times in four chapters and he wrote it from prison. In the book of Philippians, or actually it's while he was in Philippi, but it's right here in Acts chapter 16, you'll find that Paul and Silas were beaten, scourged, put in the stocks, and in prison at midnight, they were worshiping the Lord. And you know, there are some people who will say, oh, well, I've heard about the power of praise. And so when they get into a bind, they will praise God through gritted teeth, kind of like spiritual warfare. They're fighting the devil. And, but they don't do it really out of a heart of praise. But when the gates, when the uh, doors of the prison were open, when this earthquake came and set them free, Paul and Silas didn't leave. That is really significant. They weren't just praising God in order to get something accomplished. They weren't praising God to accomplish something, doing spiritual warfare. Here's a radical thought. They were actually praising him at midnight with their backs beaten, feet and hands in the stock because they loved God. And when they were set free, they didn't leave. They just kept praising God. And not only did Paul and Silas do that, but all the prisoners did that. These prisoners, none of them left. They would rather be in prison in the presence of God than be free without the presence of God. And so I say all these things to say that you may not have thought of Paul as being a really happy person, but man, Paul was a happy person. He's the one who said, rejoice in the Lord always. He's the one that says in everything, give thanks unto the Lord. Paul was a person that praised God and Paul went through a lot of hardship. And so there's things for us to learn in this. And you know, many of you, your guy may not have won the election. And you may be really bummed out. I got something for you this weekend. Amen. I'm going to teach you that we live uh, in a heavenly kingdom. And regardless of what goes on, we're going to prosper. Amen. And so I think that this is timely. Matter of fact, the day after the election, I turned on my own program because I knew it was our first... It was our first day of the new set and I wanted to see it. And I was talking about how to stay positive in a negative world. And I said, thank you, Jesus, man, I needed this. I know some of you think, well, that's a little vain to think that your own preaching is good. Man, if I don't like it, I don't know why you ought to like it. It blesses me. I was really blessed by that. So here, let's look in Acts chapter 16 and in verse 9. 
And this is talking about where Paul received his vision to go over into Macedonia. Acts chapter 16, verse 9. This is right after he had tried to go in two or three different directions and the Holy Spirit stopped him in every situation. And in verse 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. After that, he had seen the vision. Immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and from the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days." First of all, let me just say this, that Paul, this is, a, this is not really a part of what I'm going to be teaching the rest of the week, but this is a great truth that Paul had a word from the Lord, which said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul wasn't waiting on something special. He was just acting on the written word of God. And I believe that one of the reasons that the Lord appeared to him in the night, because he had already tried to go into uh, Bithynia. He had already tried to go north. He had tried to go east. He had tried to go in every direction. And if the Lord hadn't got him while he's asleep, he'd have been going in another direction the next morning. Paul didn't wait on a special word from the Lord, but he was sensitive to God. And if the Lord said, don't go, he wouldn't do it. So here's kind of a way of picturing this. Most people see themselves sitting at a red light and praying, oh God, send me. Oh God, tell me to go. Paul saw himself at a green light and he was going, but he was watching. If the Lord turned the light red, he would stop. He would be obedient if the Lord told him not to go. And this is the people who really get things done. This is a lesson to learn that if you're waiting and just in your prayer closet and asking God to give you something to do, you aren't going to get very much done. You need to go out. He told you to go into all the world. He told you to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. You don't have to have a word from God to do any of those things. You just start doing it. Talk to anything that moves. You preach the gospel. You share with people, but be sensitive. There may be sometimes that the Lord is telling you, don't waste your time here. That person's not receptive. Here's one right in front of you who will receive. And so you do have to listen to the Holy Spirit, but we've gone so, so far sometimes that people try and get too spiritual and they just sit there and wait on the Lord to, to guide them. I remember this friend of mine, I, I won't go into the whole story, but there was two people in his town. It was only a hundred people in this town out in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, two people dying of leukemia. And uh, he was the pastor of the church there. And these people died. And I asked him, I said, well, did you pray for him? And he says, no, I wanted to, but I just never felt impressed of the Lord to do it. See, that's not the way you do it. You have to, if God said, go into every city, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. The way you should do, you have to be impressed not to do it. You don't have to be impressed to pray for a person or to minister to a person or to evangelize them. You have to be impressed not to do it. You can learn that from Paul right here. So Paul was just going everywhere. And finally, the Lord got him in the middle of the night and said, go over into Macedonia. The next day they went into Macedonia. This is a story about where Lydia uh, got saved in her whole household and a number of people turned to the Lord. But then Paul got in trouble because it says 
in verse uh, 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination men us, which uh, brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these are the, uh, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. You know, some people look at this and think, well, what's wrong with that? That would be like having somebody who's a Satanist, you know, start publicizing me and saying, you ought to go to Andrew's meeting. Everybody ought to listen to Andrew. That'd be a kiss of death to have a Satanist high priest do that. You know what? This, this was mockery. It was not true and it was, it was not right. Paul put up with it for a long time. It says um, in verse 18, and this she did many days, but Paul being grieved turned and said unto the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they uh, caught Paul and Silas and drew them unto the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. You know, the truth is it wasn't about them troubling the city. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. These people lost their gain through this demon possessed girl and her ability to, uh, you know, tell fortunes and do things like that. And so that's what was behind it. And in verse 21, it says, they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together. You know, this is very similar to things that go on in our culture today. And if you stand for the Lord, there's people that accuse us of being hate mongers and how dare you do this. And they, you know, it's just not politically correct to have an opinion and stand up for something. And people accuse you of doing all kinds of stuff. Paul and Silas weren't doing anything that was against any of the laws of the Romans. They were totally innocent, but people just twisted and perverted. And it's the same thing that they're doing with us today. And you know what? Paul and Silas didn't back down. And it says in verse 22 that the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when, Paul, when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. That word heard right there in the Greek means that the prisoners hung on every word. This isn't just talking about that they literally heard it, but they were captivated by this. God was ministering to these prisoners. And you can tell that because when they got set free, none of the prisoners left. Boy, this this was a major miracle. A major miracle. You know, if you were in a prison somehow or another, and if everybody was instantly set free, I guarantee you they'd leave. And it was much worse back then. You know, now some people have it better in prison than they have outside of prison. But back in these days, nobody had it good in there. For these people to stay there after this, they were hanging on every word. They were being ministered to. Paul and Silas were in communion with God in a way that other people recognize that they were in the presence of God. It was awesome. This was a tremendous thing. And so God got to tapping his foot to the music and man, an earthquake came. 
And it says in verse 26, and it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. You know, this is an amazing earthquake because it didn't destroy anything. The thing didn't collapse or fall in. All it did was open up the prison jails and all of the chains fell off. This was supernatural. And it says, and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. In Rome, if your prisoners escaped, they killed you. They punished you. And this kept the guards uh, very committed to keeping all of those prisoners there. And when this uh, guard saw that all of the prisoners had escaped, he was going to kill himself. But it says, and Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. And so Paul couldn't see him. Paul didn't know what he was doing. This was again, a gift of the Holy Spirit. He cried out. This was God leading him to speak out to this jailer. And it says, he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. You know, to get to Paul, they were in the lowest part of the dungeon. So that means he had to pass all of the other prisoners And he noticed that all of these rapists, murderers, and all of these people had been totally set free and yet they were still in their cells. Nobody was leaving. Well, imagine how this might have affected this man. He came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that awesome? Man, Paul and Silas... I mean, literally took charge of that prison. A mighty earthquake came. Everybody in there got born again. This is a miracle of great, great proportions. And it says, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Notice he didn't say, ask God to forgive you of your sins. Repent, do all these things. No, Jesus has already paid for the sins of the whole world Now, it's not a matter of will God forgive you? You have to ask him and plead and see if he will forgive you. God has already forgiven. Will you accept it? Just believe and receive. And so the man was born again and his household. And so this is the background of what happened in Philippi. Now let's turn over to the book of Philippians. It goes on to say there in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, that the man uh, was saved, his whole household was saved. And the next morning, the magistrate sent and told Paul and Silas, you're free to go. And Paul said, hey, they've beat us openly being uncondemned in Romans. It was against the law to, to whip a Roman without a trial. And so these people were in big time trouble. And Paul said, they beat us publicly and now they want to send us away privately. He says, no, let them come and humble themselves and fetch us out themselves. And he made the magistrates come and beg him for forgiveness. <laughs> Amen. That's pretty awesome. You know, if most of us had Roman citizenship, if we were in a situation like this and all we had to do was just mention that we were Romans and we could have avoided a beating, most of us would have done it. But you know, Paul didn't pull that card until it was time. Boy, there, there's a message in that. Most of us are so much into self-preservation. It's all about us so much that we miss so many things that God wants to do in our life. 
You know what? It's like we have a default switch that if we're going to suffer something, most of us just don't go there. You need to get beyond that. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about here in the book of Philippians. So over in Philippians chapter one, let me just say that the very first thing I'd like to say, the very first secret about Paul being happy was found over there in Acts that he had a supernatural call to go to Philippi. He knew that God had sent him. It says they rose up assuredly gathering that the Lord had sent them to Philippi. And you know, if you are going to truly find happiness, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're doing what God called you to do. There is a satisfaction and a contentment that comes with being in the exact center of God's will that you won't get anywhere else. I really believe that God gives a holy, not an unholy, but a holy dissatisfaction to us when we are out of his will. I'm not sure if you understand what I'm talking about. But the Lord, I, I know in my own life, I pastored three churches. I've, done a, I've gone in steps and stages. The Lord doesn't show you his will all at one time. And I, I remember I was in Seagaville, Texas, and I was pastoring in Seagaville, just a little bit southeast of Dallas over here. And I was committed to Seagaville. I was going to live or die there. I was putting my whole life into it. And I mean, I was just praying and interceding and doing everything I could to reach that area. And in one day, I was down at the church building praying. And in one day, God changed my heart like that. And I looked out the window and I thought, what am I doing in this place? I just instantly hated that place. Like I couldn't wait to get out of there. And my emotions changed so much that I thought, God, is this you? And so I prayed for a couple of hours about it. And finally, I was convinced this was the Lord. I went home to tell Jamie that I felt like God was telling me our time in Seagaville was up. And when I got home, there was a for sale sign in our front yard. And I went in and I said, what's this about? And she said, our landlord came and said, we've got to be out by the 1st of November, the exact day that God told me that I had to leave. And you know what? That's one of the ways that God shows you things is by the desires of your heart and leading you. And all of a sudden, I just lost my desire to be there. And so God will give you a holy dissatisfaction. And the reason some of you just can't seem to be satisfied is because God is telling you there's more than what you're living. He wants you to do more and you're, you're doing whatever because it's safe, because this is what's expected of you, because it seems logical. You know, I could stop right here and, and never get to the rest of all of the things I want to say, because this is a big issue. Typically, anytime I minister along this lines, I'll have at least 80% of all of the people if I give an invitation, they'll stand and say, I don't know that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do. I hope it is. I'm asking God to bless what I'm doing, but I don't know that God has called me to do what I'm doing. I tell you, life is too short to be guessing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, don't be ignorant, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons many of you aren't happy, you aren't content, 
you aren't satisfied is because God is trying to tell you that there's something more than what you're doing. And you, he's stirring you up and making you dissatisfied. Now that's not true of depression. God's not putting depression on you and things like this, but I'm saying there is a holy type of dissatisfaction and there is a contentment and a peace and a satisfaction that only comes when you know you're where God wants you to be. That's a major statement right there. So one of the secrets of Paul was he knew, he knew that he was doing what God called him to do. You know, we've got Pastor Derry and Karen Jolly over here from Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been going to their church for, I think, 26 years every September. And I was there a number of years back, and one of the uh, partners in that area always has me go speak to the people that are in his business. He tells them the clock is running. You listen to this man talk as long as he wants to talk, and he pays his employees to just come and listen to me. And so I went in, and I spoke... And when I came out, there was an Oriental lady that was sitting there at the counter. And I said, you weren't back here with the rest of the employees. And she says, no, I'm the new kid on the block. And they had me answer the phones. And uh, she says, who are you? And I told her my name. She says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm a minister. And I was sharing with the rest of the employees. And she says, for who? And I said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she says, you're the one. And I said, the one what? <laughs> and she says, I'm, I'm a Buddhist. And she said, last night I was going through all of my rituals and I was chanting and doing these things. And she says, I just, she says, I know that there's a God, but I didn't think Buddha was it or the way to God. And she says, I just stopped in the middle of all of my stuff. And she says, God, I know you're real, but I can't believe that this is it. Who are you? reveal yourself to me. And she said that this ball of light came and stood right in front of her and it was just pulsating. And an audible voice came and said, tomorrow I'll send you a man who'll tell you who I am. And she says, you must be the man. And I said, I am the man. (laughs) Amen. And I got to lead this lady to salvation and she got baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. And that was wonderful. But you know what? When I went and sat in my car, you talk about a sense of satisfaction and joy and peace, knowing that God, I was in the right place at the right time. You knew I was going to be there. You told that lady you'd send somebody. And I tell you, you don't get that kind of peace and satisfaction doing your own thing and asking God to bless it. So one of the keys to finding happiness is that Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. He knew that God had sent him to Philippi. And even though he wound up in prison, he knew he was exactly where God wanted him to be. And at midnight with his back beaten and raw and his hands and feet in the stocks, Paul was singing praises to God because he knew he was exactly where God wanted him to be. You know, there's a lot of people that discern God's will by circumstances. I have people all of the time that say, well, you know, they want to come to Bible school and they're praying and they're just waiting on God to make everything work. And if, you know, they they put their house up for sale and if it sells instantly, if it sells for more than what they were asking, if everything just falls in line, then they let circumstances dictate to them. I don't believe that you ought to go by circumstances. 
We are his sheep. We hear his voice. And we don't have to just go by whether there's two cats that walk this way and a dog that goes this way. And that determines the will of the Lord. That's not the right way to do it. But if you were going to let circumstances dictate to you, scripturally, it would be more accurate if everything's going against you. That must be God. Paul, he saw a vision saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And within just days of being there, he was beaten in prison, in the dungeon, with his feet and hands in the stock, and he was in the center of God's will. Paul said that there is a great and effectual door open unto us, but there are many adversaries. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed in the same direction. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, I just got through with a series on television that I felt really impressed of God to give on Christian philosophy. And I took a stand on some social issues, homosexuality, creation versus evolution and abortion. And you know what? I know God told me to do it. And yet it's the lowest response we've had to our television programs in five years. Nearly every time we do something, the response is growing. But you know what? I got to talking on social issues and man, the response went down. And some people see would say, well, it wasn't God. No, I believe it was God. I believe God told me to do it. You can't sit here and judge whether or not God has led you to do something by how big the offering is or how many people ride in or whether everybody's patting you on the back. Well, there's some great lessons to learn right here, but you've got to know that you are in the center of God's will. That's one of the things about the apostle Paul that made him singing and praising God in the midst of a bad situation because he knew that he knew that he knew that he was in that situation because he was following God. It makes a difference when you know that you are in the problem that you're in, not because you caused it, not because of your own stupidity, not because of your own carnality, but you are in this situation because God led you there. It gives you a a satisfaction and a peace that, Father, you knew all of these things were going to happen. There's a way through this. It'll work out. Amen? If you don't know for sure that you are doing exactly what God called you to do, then you shouldn't let any more time go. You need to find out what God's will for your life is and do it. And then not look at circumstances and whether or not you're popular. Just go by what God spoke to you. And you, you rest in the fact that, Father, I know I'm doing what you called me to do. And I tell you, that's one of the major things. That's like a foundation of happiness in your life. And many of you are praying for happiness, contentment, and peace. And God is, is the one who's stirring you up because he's trying to let you know there's more than just getting up and going to work and coming home and watching television and going to bed and getting up and going to work and doing it all over again. Amen. Well, we could camp there forever. But over in Philippians, let me go on. There's 20 things I've written down and I've got five sessions. I need to average four per message to be able to go through this. So in Philippians chapter one, he starts greeting the people in verse three. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many things in these verses. Philippians is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Matter of fact, I brought some little workbooks that are a verse by verse teaching through the entire book of Philippians. Every single verse in there is covered and we've got those out there someplace. So if you would like more in-depth teaching, you're certainly welcome to get that. I'm just having to highlight some things, but what I want to say right here, a second thing in this list is that, you know, Paul was concerned about other people. He was concerned about the people he administered to. He was always in every prayer. He prayed for these Philippians. He loved other people. I tell you, here is, this is a huge, huge, huge part of you being happy is learning that other people are more important than yourself. If you would get to where you focused on other people instead of just yourself, it would make a huge difference in your emotions. You know, in the Baptist church that I grew up in, we used to have a song that we sang that says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And part of those lyrics, I forget exactly how it went, but it was something about going out and helping other people. And you know, when you are suffering yourself, if you will go bless somebody else, it takes your attention off of yourself. It puts your attention on other people and it, and it changes things. You know, we, I just mentioned that we got back from Uganda. We went to this place where a lot of the people, uh, there was little babies there with the swollen bellies. They were drinking out of this ditch that we drove through on the way there, this muddy water. It looked like milk, the water that they were drinking. They lived in huts that were about seven foot diameter and three or three and a half feet tall. You had to get down and scoot into them. And we went into some of them. They had just roasted 12 rats and they had the rats on little skewers. And that's what they were eating. And they had no possessions. There was a couple of people that might have had one shirt or something, but they didn't have clothes. They didn't have anything. They had no hygiene. There was no such thing as a toothbrush. There was no such thing as a comb. They all shaved their heads because they had no way to take care of themselves. These people were living so close that, I mean, every day they spent hours and hours and hours every day just to get enough to survive that day. They had nothing. And you know what? When you go out and see somebody else that has things like that, you come back and it seems like, oh man, I was wanting my fifth flat screen TV, but it doesn't seem that important all of a sudden. You know what? When you get your eyes on other people, when you take your attention off of yourself, it will make a huge, huge, huge difference in the way you do things. Pastor Derry and Karen, we'll have them share tomorrow morning, but they help people in Nicaragua and Mexico, Cuba, and they they go out and through them, I was able to build a little house for this woman named Elena. And she was 75, I think at the time, had never lived in a house in her life, was sleeping in a hammock between two trees with three of her grandchildren laying on the ground underneath her. And we built her a little two bedroom or two room house with an indoor toilet for like, I think at that time it was like $3,500. It's now 4,500. And I went over there and got to meet this lady. And this lady was so thankful 
just thanked me. She cooked me chicken. She was so excited about having me there. You know what? When you quit thinking about yourself and you go to looking at other people, you'll be amazed how that that changes your attitude. People that are all wrapped up in themselves make a very small package. And I'm, I'm going to say this. I hadn't got time to defend it. I could. But if you are depressed and discouraged, you are a very selfish, self-centered person. And I know some of you that didn't bless you. Some of you, oh no, it's my hormones. You don't understand. I got a chemical imbalance. I believe that those things exist, but those things are a byproduct of you being so focused on yourself and on your situation that you don't think about anything else. You know, again, during this election season, I know that many people's hopes are dashed because the guy you wanted didn't get in, etc. But did you know, if you just think about this, if you read the Bible, look at Paul. He was living in a situation where the man who was ruling the place proclaimed himself as God and accepted worship as God. You could just beat people. You could kill people. You could, the Romans could come and compel you to bear their burdens. And they were, they were a conquered people. And I mean, it makes our situation look wonderful in comparison. And yet the apostle Paul was singing and praising God at midnight. Certainly if he could do that after being beaten and put in the stocks, you could praise God two days after the election. I'm not saying that I like the way everything goes, but you know what? There's some things more important than this nation and more important than all of these other things. We are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If, if we would take our focus away from all of these things, which I'm not saying that they're good and I'm not saying that it's unimportant, but I'm saying that this is, you got to have a bigger vision than this. You got to look beyond these things. Did you know that there are more people being born again now than has ever happened in the history of the world? I've seen charts on this and I don't, I can't do it by memory right now, but there are more people born again in one year at this time in the history of the earth than has ever been born again throughout the all time. We are seeing more people born again on a yearly basis than have been born again for 2,000 years. It's happening every year. You'll hear the Muslims talk about that they're the fastest growing, but that's because they're so much smaller than Christianity. You know, if you've got a church with one person in it and one other comes, well, then they've doubled. (laughs) But you have a church with 1,000 in it and 500 come, they only went up 50%. But you know, they increased 499 more than the church with only one. So they can claim, well, we're the fastest growing church in town. That's what the Muslims are doing. But I tell you, Christianity is still far outpacing any other thing. There are more people turning to the Lord. There is an awesome revival. You know, in the Bible, there's eight people that were recorded as being raised from the dead. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, it says many rose from the dead and came out of their tombs. And it doesn't give a specific number, but there's eight people mentioned in the Bible who were raised from the dead. I know over 50 people that have been raised from the dead. I know one man who raised eight people from the dead, raised two people from the dead in one service. 
I've seen three people raised from the dead. My own son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. Man, do you realize that that is like, what, four, four times, what is that, five, six times, over six times as many people raised from the dead that I know as in 4,000 years of biblical history. How many of you in here have seen a person raised from the dead or you've been raised from the dead? Here's one, two, three, four, five. Here's a, here's a person with four fingers up. Jim Bob back there. That man's a faith man, faith depot. Amen. Here's Anyway, this is over a dozen people right here. Did you know that this is more than happened in 4,000 years of biblical history? You can either get to focus on what's wrong and looking at all of this, or you can lift up your eyes and look around. And we are living in one of the greatest times in the history of the world. Right now, America is one of the deadest places on the face of the earth for the gospel. I was just in Uganda and man, they came forward. You know, when people come forward tonight, I usually give about 10 minutes worth of instructions. In Uganda, you could just sit there and say, come forward, we're gonna pray for you to speak in tongues and boom, they'd start speaking in tongues without any explanation. I talked to a woman down here who was a missionary to Africa and she said that she used to see people healed all of the time and she's not seeing it happen here. She felt like she was losing the anointing. And I said, you aren't losing the anointing. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. It's that Americans are so hard hearted what it is. They don't receive as good as the Africans. reason I'm saying is that, you know what? There is a red hot revival going on in the world. It is the greatest time to be alive that has ever happened on the face of the earth. And if you aren't careful, you'll get to looking at your little situation and thinking about yourself and our little country. And there's more to the world than just the United States. And you'll get bummed out and discouraged. And all you got to do is like Paul, he was thanking God for other people. He's praying for other people daily. That was one of the secrets of him being happy. You're going to have to get your attention off of yourself, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and think about somebody besides yourself. Amen. I know many of you don't like this and that's the reason you aren't happy. Some of you, when I started talking about this, oh man, I need this. And then I start telling you what the Bible says and all of a sudden you don't like it and you want to you want to keep the way you are but you want different results. You want to keep doing the same thing but you want different results. That's crazy. I'm telling you if what you're doing isn't working you ought to listen. I'm telling you that this works. If you get more concerned about other people you just need to take a trip to Uganda and go into one of these grass huts and eat a few rats and you would find out that things aren't so bad after all. Amen. (laughs) Think about somebody else. And it would make a huge, huge difference. And so here, let's go on down to the next thing here. It says um, in verse eight, this is Philippians chapter one, verse eight, for God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That's what he was praying for these people. 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should not, should understand brethren that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Again, let me give you a little bit of background. The Philippians were a group of people that they received Paul's message and they loved Paul. And Paul says this over in the fourth chapter. I'll mention this later on in this series. But Paul said, there was no church that communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And you didn't do it just once or twice. You would have done it even more. The Philippians are the only people that ever gave and sent money to Paul after he left their area. Other people might give when he was there, but they're the only people that really supported him. They became partners with him. That's what this word fellowship means in verse, uh, what is it, verse 3 or, or 5? In verse Philippians 1, 5, that word fellowship, there's the Greek word koinonia, and it means partnership. They were partners with Paul. These were people, and this is one of the reasons he thanked God every time he thought about these people is because these people didn't just receive, they gave. They received and then they gave. They wanted somebody else to receive. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing through Paul. And because of this, Paul, they had heard that he had been in prison and they were worried about how he was. And Paul was writing this letter to console his friends, his partners, to let them know how he was. And you got to remember, they didn't have cell phones the way we do. They don't, didn't have e- email. These people had heard that Paul had been in prison, but it had been months since they had heard. And you know, not everybody lived through prison. And he was facing a potential execution. And they were concerned about where he, where he was. And so Paul wrote this letter to calm them down and to assure his friends that he was okay. And here's how he began to do it. He started saying, and he says, I, I want you to understand that the things which have happened to me have happened rather under the furtherance of the gospel so that by my bonds in Christ are manifest in all of the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. You know, that's a little hard to understand, but here's what I believe he's saying. Some people were emboldened by Paul, the fact that he had stood and was suffering persecution and yet he hadn't backed down. And it encouraged some of them to be bold preaching the gospel. Then there was others that were mocking him. They were probably people in Caesar's household who were going around and saying, have you heard about this prisoner? He believes that there's this guy named Jesus who was God, God in the flesh. And they crucified him. And Paul claims that he rose from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And Paul is saying, I don't care if they're telling these things in mockery of me or if other people have been emboldened and they're preaching the true gospel, he says, anyway, Christ is being preached. People are hearing about Christ and I rejoice in that. You know, when I was talking to these people in Uganda, man, it was hard to preach the gospel to them because you couldn't tell them about, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Jesus who? He died for your sins. What do you mean he died for my sins? Well, it was God. He came and lived in in a physical body. They'd never heard of these things. 
How do you preach the gospel to people that have never heard of Jesus? If you told them, well, he was a Jew, he died in Israel, where's Israel? They don't know anything beyond a village or two beyond them. You know what? It was just nearly impossible. How do you start trying to communicate things to people? They didn't have any concept. So we're buying three of these um, Jesus films and generators, and we're going to start going from village to village. And then we've got all of these hundreds of people that are going to start doing discipleship. But this Jesus film, see, they will at least see the story of Jesus. And then you can explain, here's why he died for you. Here's who Jesus was. Here's what these miracles were. It's going to be awesome. We're going to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people born again over there. It's going to be awesome. Praise God. But anyway, my point is, Paul was saying, I don't care if they're preaching the gospel sincerely or if they're mocking me. Any way that people hear about Jesus and they learn these things, he says, I'm rejoicing in this. And so in verse uh, 18, he says, what then? Notwithstanding uh, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, again, the reason Paul was saying all of these things is to calm the people, his partners, his friends, and tell them, I know that you've heard that I'm in prison, but here, I want you to know that this is working out for the better of the gospel. People are hearing in Caesar's household, people are being born again. They're hearing the gospel. Some people are being uh, encouraged to be strong, preaching the gospel. Other people are mocking me, but they're all talking about Jesus everywhere. Jesus is being glorified. And he's telling this to people so that they'll feel good about him being in prison. How many of you, if you were in prison and you were trying to tell people, oh, I'm okay, how many of you would have taken this approach? Most of us would be talking about, man, it's tough. It's cold in this prison. The food's bad. They've done this and this. I'm facing possible execution, but you know, it'll be all right. No, Paul was sitting here and saying that Jesus is being glorified. And if you know what, me being in prison glorifies Jesus, then it's all good. This is a great secret of why Paul was happy because you know what? He had something bigger than himself. He had something more important than himself. Paul was living to preach the gospel. Paul was living to change people's lives. And if him being in prison for five years, two years in Judea, one year en route to Rome, two years in Rome, five years in prison at one stretch. And then there was other times that he was in prison for a small, uh, shorter period of time. Paul is saying if being in prison for five years is going to preach the gospel and if people get born again, man, it's worth it. It's awesome. You know, a person with an attitude like that, it's hard to get them discouraged. Because if it works out to the furtherance of the gospel, Paul was happy. And brothers and sisters, most of us, and I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. It's just the truth. And I only have a few times with you and I've got to be blunt and get things done. But most of us are so selfish and so self-centered that if you were suffering, you wouldn't care if somebody was being born again because of it. You wouldn't care if the gospel was being promoted. You don't care about anything but just yourself. 
That's human nature. And some of you are thinking, oh no, it'd be different. Well, let me ask you about where you are right now. Some of you have problems in your life. And instead of rejoicing over the awesome things that are happening, instead of looking at that and seeing that, man, this is a great time and other people are just being blessed, you get so focused on your own problem that even though you hear somebody else testify about something good, instead of rejoicing with them, all you can do is think, why did that happen to them instead of to me? We're just focused on ourselves. This is sinful human nature. Is just to think only about yourself. Paul was beyond that. Paul was to a place that, man, people were being led to the Lord. People were hearing about the gospel. There were good things happening. And if it meant him rotten in prison, so be it. If you had that attitude, you'd be happy. If it wasn't all about you, if it was about somebody else besides you, you know what? You could be happy. Selfishness is like a drug addiction. It doesn't matter what you feed it. It'll never be satisfied. The only way to ever deal with self is to deny it. To put somebody else ahead of yourself. To make something else more important than yourself. Paul had a cause that was bigger than him. And even though he was suffering greatly in the physical realm, the cause, the gospel was going forth. People in Caesar's household were hearing the gospel. It doesn't say it in that Acts 16 account, but you read over in the book of Philemon, and Onesimus, a slave, came across Paul's path and got born again. And Paul wrote the book of Philemon about that, back to Philemon about that. And Onesimus got born again, and Paul was rejoicing. If it took five years in prison to get Onesimus born again... Well worth it. I had a man come up tonight and thank me. He says, thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not giving up throughout all of your hard times and stuff. And he was just thanking me. And I said, you know what? You're worth it. You're worth it. And that's the way that you have to look at things. You know, I've had hardships the same as anybody else has. But it's worth it if if people are getting blessed. When you get to where there's something more important than you, there's something bigger than you, there's something more important than whether you get the Mercedes or whatever it is that you're lusting for. And you get to putting other things ahead of yourself. It's a recipe for happiness. Americans are just so materialistic so consumed with getting all they can and then canning all they get and then sitting on your can. That is the American way. I tell you what, every one of you ought to go to Uganda. Every one of you ought to go to some other place. Every one of you ought to get to where you recognize that there's something more important than just, you know, getting as much as you can. You get to where you put other people ahead of yourself and you get to where there's something more important than you doing all of these things. And you know what? Your happiness will just go through the roof. Paul was in the Philippian jail, beaten, hurting, and yet Lydia and all of her family were born again. And he was rejoicing because it was worth it. People are worth it. And brothers and sisters, many of you are laboring for things that aren't worth it. 
A bigger house, a bigger car is not worth it. God doesn't mind us having those things. As long as your priorities are right, there's nothing wrong with you being very, very prosperous. But you have to seek first the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of people that you are seeking first, your own kingdom. And because of that, it's a recipe for unhappiness. Because you can't ever satisfy your lust. The abundance of man's life doesn't consist in the things that he has. When you get to where people's lives are being changed, that's worth it. You know, I see Nikki and her kid. And you know what? It's worth it. It's people that are important. That's what makes things worth it. Ashley and Carly here, man, they... It's just tremendous. Their daughter was raised off of her deathbed. She was sent home to die, and that was six years ago, and she's a happy, healthy little girl today. And Ashley and Carly just got back last week from being in Kansas City and took our healing school on the road and saw two blind eyes open and deaf ears open and people come out of wheelchair. And the very area that they were being defeated in six years ago, now they are prospering and they are seeing not only them, but their disciples that they've made go out and pray for other people. You know what? That's worth it. When you get to where something is more important than you and your kingdom and you get to living for something beyond that, you can go through hardships and bumps in the roads and it's not a big deal because you know what? It's worth it. You've got, you've got something that's worth dying for. You've got something that's worth suffering adversity for. It makes a difference. Again, I'm not saying these things to hurt. I'm trying to open up our eyes that we in America, and it's not just America, it's all around the world, but we have just, it's all about us. You just focused on yourself and thinking about you only. There's lots of things more important than you. You know, one of the ways that you can tell an American is this old joke about how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? And with an American, it's only one. Because you just stand there and hold it and the world revolves around you. (laughs) It would do you good to go someplace else and find out how blessed we are and get to seeing how other people live. And you know, the very first time I ever went to India, I went into a millionaire's home. I mean, I had been in some terrible, terrible, terrible places. But I went into a millionaire's home. And this guy was so proud because he was so prosperous compared to everybody else. And I tell you what, it took all the faith I had to eat off of his filthy plates and to go into his filthy house. There's not a person in here that doesn't live better than that millionaire in India lived. And I saw in Bombay, it's Mumbai now, But when I was there, this is 1980, they had people sleeping five and six abreast on the sidewalks outside the building I was at. And every morning they would come by with big old wagons and they'd pick up the dead. And in front of our place, at least four or five people every day would die right there. And they'd just put them in this thing and go dump them. And you know what? You see things like that. And when I saw it and I came back and I said, God, you didn't 
bless America just so that we could consume it upon ourselves. You have blessed this nation like very few nations in the history of the world have ever been blessed. And it is not so that we can just have more and more and more. It's so that we can use this to influence people. Money gives you power and influence. And man, if you were to take your attention off of yourself and just thinking about what you don't have and think about what other people don't have and go to blessing them and helping them. Man, you would find out it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Just like Jesus said. I was meeting with these people that we have over. We've, we've got two pastors in Uganda that have discipled over 300 people by themselves in the last four or five years. There's now over half a million people a month going through our discipleship course in Uganda. And these pastors, I was sitting down with them and we were planning, how are we going to reach all of these villages? What are we going to do? And you know what? I was just so blessed because I'm in a position where I could reach. I could reach, uh, I think that there's 850,000 people in this one sub-region living in huts. Most of them have never heard the gospel. And you know what? I've got enough money. I could reach all of those people. I can do what it takes to reach them. And I'm going to do it. And that's why God's blessed me is so that I can reach out and touch other people. And you know what? When you get your mind on that, you get to thinking about other people all of a sudden, who cares about whether I get my latest toy? And you know, the amazing thing about it is when you get that attitude and you quit focusing on things, it seems like things come even better. I, I like woodworking. And I'm not any good at it. <laughs> but I make things. I made my belt buckle. I make all kinds of things. And I just like making things on my lathe. Did you know I'm doing all of these things to bless other people? And I just had somebody give me a minimum of $15,000 worth of woodworking stuff. It could be 20000 or more. I don't know. But it's at least And I built this little shop and it's too small. I'm going to have to double it because I'm getting so much stuff. When you quit focusing on yourself and you go to using what you've got for other people, did you know what? It just opens up a floodgate. It doesn't mean you're going to do without. I tell you, this is one of the ways, this is one of the secrets of Paul. When you get to a place, when you're trying to console people who've been concerned about you because you're in prison... And the way you console them is saying, hey, people are being born again. It's wonderful. All of the suffering I'm going through is well worth it because people are being born again. Man, that says volumes about Paul. And that's one of the reasons that Paul could rejoice in the midst of a prison because people were being born again. He knew this was going to work together, that somebody was going to get saved. He could, he, the jailer was going to get saved. Some of the prisoners were going to be saved. So it was well worth taking a beating. Isn't that awesome? There's something more important than you. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things more important than you. And you know what? If you'd adopt that attitude, you would see a lot more good things happen. Let's jump down to verse um, 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer 
and the supply of the spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Man, here's the apostle Paul saying, I just want Jesus to be magnified. And if, it, if me dying helps further the kingdom, so be it. Isn't that a great attitude? Verse 21, for, to, for me... For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Talking about prison. He'd been in prison for nearly five years. This is what I get if I live in the flesh. Yet what I shall choose, I won't not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. First of all, most people wouldn't adopt that far better seems like we cling on to this life as if this is all there is to it. We sing the song, when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you fall apart like a $2 suitcase. (laughs) Something's wrong with this picture. (laughs) We need to get to a place where to live is Christ. Not me. It's not all about me, but it's all about Jesus. And to die is gain. And Paul said, I'm in a great strait between two. I have such a desire to go and to be with the Lord. And yet, for him, going to be with the Lord was better. And he says, but I know I'm going to remain here because that's to your advantage. Paul, what made him happy was seeing other people receive, not seeing him receive. It wasn't about whether he got all of his things, whether he had all of his desires. God was more important to him than himself. Other people were more important to him than himself. If he had to die to further the gospel, he was all for it. That's the fourth thing that I've talked about tonight. He was dead to himself. You know, if you're dead to yourself, people can't make you mad. People can't upset you. You could take a corpse here tonight And I can spit on the corpse, kick the corpse, ignore the corpse, insult the corpse. And if it's a corpse, it won't respond. You know why you respond? It's because you aren't a corpse. You aren't dead to yourself. It's still all about you. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride comes contention. It didn't say that it's one of the leading ways. It's a major way for people who are personal type A personalities, it's what makes you mad. It says only by pride comes contention. And pride isn't just arrogance. Pride is just self-centeredness. There's a lot of people with low self-esteem that are very self-centered. You think about yourself constantly. It may be in a negative way, but you are self-centered, self-focused. That's what makes you angry. That's all that makes you angry. And that's all that makes you discontent too. If you were dead to yourself, you'd never be depressed. A depressed person is a very self-centered person. Thank you for that thunderous silence. You know, I'm not going to win any awards for saying what I'm saying. 
And the secular world and stuff will just mock me because they say everything has a physical, organic reason. They don't believe in the spiritual part of a man. They think that there's all a chemical reaction and some physical this and that. And they look, you know, it's that Adam syndrome. It's that woman that you gave me. We're pointing the fingers and blaming somebody else. But I'm telling you, it's not other people and it's not what they do to you that makes you angry. It's what's on the inside of you that makes you so touchy, so selfish that makes you angry. You can literally get to a place to where you don't even notice a wrong suffered. That's what it says about love over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not presenting myself as perfect, but I I'm not, hadn't arrived, but I've left. I'm better than I used to be. And I've had people spit in my face. I've had people try and kill me. I've had people kidnap me. I've been slandered. I've been maligned. And you know what? I hadn't gotten mad at those people. I'm not upset. I had a guy one time tell everybody that I was stealing money from the church, which I didn't even take a salary from the church. But he accused me of stealing money, accused me of committing adultery, accused me of being on drugs and alcohol. He was saying all of these things about me. I went in and confronted him. He screamed and yelled at me and called me a hypocrite and all of these other things. And the next week I was driving by his business And I went in to talk to him because he was in my church. So I went in and talked to him. And when I came back out, I told Jamie, I said, something's wrong. He's not treating me friendly the way he normally does. And she had to remind me that he was accusing me of these things and had done all of these things. I'd forgotten it because it wasn't true. (laughs) I knew it wasn't true. And so I didn't sit there and nurse my wounds and think about, look what he said about me. I just honestly forgot it. I was thinking, what's wrong with him? And I prayed for him and forgot it. (laughs) Some of you think you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because this is the way I'm living. (laughs) You You can get to where, you know what? You just don't care that much about yourself. It doesn't matter whether you are the slickest person, whether everybody loves you whether you're the most popular, you're more concerned about the kingdom advancing. You know, if we really had this attitude, ministers wouldn't be in competition with each other the way that they are. If somebody else can preach the gospel better than you can, let them have your church. I have people come up to me all of the time and say, man, I'm listening to somebody and man, they're really doing this and they're doing that. And I think, wonderful. Praise God. We need more than me preaching the gospel. Man, we need lots of people preaching the gospel. But you know, again, I'm, I'm saying this because I am a minister. I think I can criticize myself and my peers. But you know what? There's a lot of insecure ministers that if they found out that you're coming to my meeting, going to somebody else's church, they get threatened by it. And it's all because of this selfishness. But Paul said, you know, he was, for him, living was all about Christ and dying is even better. He was dead to himself. If you truly want to be happy, I encourage you to die to yourself, to put God ahead of yourself. To love God more than you love yourself. To love other people more than you love yourself. To start focusing on other people instead of yourself. You do those things and I guarantee you, 
you are going to start seeing a joy and a peace and a happiness come because that's the heart of God. And God will start flowing through you and God will start touching people's lives and things will start changing. And you can literally get to a place where it really is more blessed to give than than to receive. You know, instead of thinking about, man, how can you get more? Instead of being like a vacuum cleaner that just sucks everything towards you, you ought to turn the engine around, reverse it and start blowing everything the other direction. How much can you give? How much can I give and still survive? How much can I give and still take care of my family and still be a good witness and provide things and stuff? But how much can I give? How little do I have to keep? If you got to where it wasn't all about you and you were focused on other people and dead to yourself and for you to live as Christ and to die is even better. You know what? You just can't intimidate a person like that. You take Paul and put him in prison and they say, we're going to punish you. And he starts singing and worshiping the Lord. So an earthquake comes and everybody in the jail gets saved. And so they kick him out of prison and they They let him loose and he says, wonderful. And he goes and preached Jesus. And then they come back and say, we're going to kill you. And he says, wonderful. Amen. (laughs) I can just imagine Paul kissing those guys. Oh, this is great for me to live as Christ and to die as gang. How do you stop a guy like that? How do you stop somebody who doesn't care if they live or die? They don't care if they're in prison. They don't care about anything. All they want to do is glorify the Lord. How do you stop a person like that? You can't. You can't intimidate them. And yet in our society, we have the government come along and if you say anything, we'll take away your 501c3. Who cares? Amen. I'm going to preach the gospel if they take away my 501c3. I'm going to preach the gospel if they stick me in prison. You know what? You get to a place where you don't care about all of this stuff and it just makes a huge difference makes a huge difference. Why do you care so much what everybody thinks about you? Why is it so important to have everybody like you? You don't want to be like everybody else. You want to be an individual. And yet, you're afraid of being rejected by people. Man, you need to get to a place where you just speak the truth. You stand for the truth. And if that works for you, hallelujah. If it works against you, who cares? If people are being blessed, if it's the truth, you just do what God tells you to do. You know for sure you're in the center of God's will. You put your attention on other people instead of yourself. You've got a cause that's bigger than yourself, something that you're living for that's beyond self, and you're dead to yourself. Man, those four things that we've talked about tonight ought to be enough to transform every person in here if we would just live that. And I'm telling you, it's not easy to do. It's as simple as what I've talked about. But the hardest thing you'll ever do is die to yourself. You can't die to yourself by yourself. It's not human nature. It's fallen human nature to be totally self-centered. You were born self-centered. You came out of the womb only thinking about yourself. You didn't care that your mother had been up all night long in labor, giving birth. You wake her up because you want something. You could bring a baby into a service like this and they don't care that there's a thousand people here wanting to hear the word. They'll cry. They'll make a scene. They don't know that anybody exists but them. 
You know, that's one thing when you're a year old, but the problem is when you're 40 and 50 and 60 years old and you still think that everything is all about you. It's human nature. We came into this world selfish, but it takes the supernatural power of God. It takes an encounter with God. God literally has to consume that self. And it's not just a one-time thing. It may begin one time, but it's a process. I've had people after I preach on something like this come up and say, would you please cast self out of me? (laughs) I can't do it. The only way I can get self out of you is just to kill you. (laughs) And then you'll be perfect. But as long as you are breathing, you are going to have a self and it has to be, you have to die to it. You start the process and then the Lord reminds you and speaks to you about this over and over and over and over. It's like in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You have to crawl up on the altar and lay there and ask God for his fire to fall and consume you. You can't just die to yourself on your own. It's, it's against your nature. You have to have an encounter with God where God becomes more important to you than you are. And sad to say, very few Christians have come to that place. And that's one of the very reasons that they are so unhappy and unfulfilled is because it's all about themselves. I'm telling you, this is the way to... I'm, You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. That's what makes true happiness and joy. These things are are essential. And you are the one that makes the process. You begin the process. Amen. It says, I beseech you that you present your body a living sacrifice. You have to do this. You just can't ask God to make you to where you are dead to yourself. You have to start You have to come to this awareness. You have to start the process. And I promise you, God will help you because he wants it. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God never intended for you to be self-centered, self-motivated. He intended for you to yield yourself and submit to his leadership in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he would direct your paths. And it just takes some effort to be able to get there, but it's well, well worth it. Amen. One last thing, and I'm going to give an invitation here, but let me share this one last thing that I met with Jim Irwin once, the man who walked on the moon. He was an astronaut. And I was in Vietnam in 1969 when they walked on the moon. And I missed all of that. I never got to see that. And so I was really interested in it. When I was on a television program with Jim Irwin, He gave me his books and signed them. I gave him my books and signed them. And I was visiting with him and I was, I just wanted to know everything about it. Like, how do you go to the bathroom in space? (laughs) That's one of those deep questions I've always. (laughs) And uh, anyway, we talked about all this stuff and I thought that it was just so technical the way that they did it, that they just went and landed in the exact spot that they had planned. And he began to tell me, he says it wasn't like that at all. They threw that capsule towards the moon. 
And it took four and a half days, four or four and a half days. And he said every 10 minutes for four and a half days, they had a course correction. And sometimes it was just a fraction of one degree off course. And they just have a tiny burn to get back on course. But he says sometimes they were going 90 degrees opposite the moon. And they would have to burn for 10 minutes to get back on target. Instead of just going to the moon perfectly, they went to the moon like this. (laughs) And then instead of landing in this exact spot, he said that there was a 500 mile long landing zone that they had mapped out. And when he got outside of the lunar module, they were within five feet of missing a 500 mile landing strip. It wasn't perfect, but they made it. And as he was telling me this, the Lord spoke to me and he says, this is the way it is with dealing with yourself. You don't just say, all right, I'm never going to be selfish again. And boom, you've got it. No, you just blast off. You just head in that direction. And then the rest of your life, every 10 minutes, there's going to be a course correction. going to be some of you tonight that when you get out of here and you get in your car, somebody's going to pull in front of you. And instead of blessing them, it's like, did you see that? You wave at them with one finger or whatever it is that you do. And you know what? You've got an opportunity to say, you know what? Somebody else is more important than me. I think I'll let you go first. You go back and they take the last tape set that you wanted. And instead of thinking about, well, what about me? You could bless them. You will have a course correction the rest of your life. That doesn't mean that you didn't commit yourself to dying to yourself and putting God first. It just means that it's a process. The Lord still deals with me about this. I made that decision March the 23rd, 1968. And I tell you, God has done a miraculous thing in my life concerning this, but I still deal with myself. I still deal with this old stuff. As long as you're breathing, you're going to have a self. And it doesn't mean that I didn't commit myself to God. It just means that I have not died yet. Amen. I'm still having to deal with myself. Well, that is important. So I'd like to do this tonight. I'd like to ask how many of you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit tonight and you'd say, you know what? I'm a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old adult brat. I'm still focused on myself. And that's the reason I've been discouraged and depressed and I hadn't been happy. And tonight I want to crawl up on the altar and ask for the fire of God to fall and consume me. Now, if you've already begun this process, even if you were off course, just take this as a course correction and get back to what you've committed to do. But I'm saying that there's a lot of people in our society that, you know what, this may be the first time you've ever been, you've ever encountered anybody saying stuff like what I've said, because this is the me generation. It's all about me. And there's some of you that this may be the first time that the Holy Spirit has ever had an avenue to show you that you are not the most important thing in the world. And some of you have never blasted off. Some of you haven't even found where the launching pad was. I'm telling you, it's right here tonight. God's dealing with you. And if you have never made that decision, if you've never begun the process and tonight, 
the Holy Spirit's convicted you and you say, man, I want to I want to change. I want to begin this process of putting other people, a cause ahead of myself. I want to die to myself and live to Christ. I've not done it, but I want to do it tonight. If that's you, I want you to be just humble enough to stand right where you are and I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to begin this process of dying to yourself. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I know some of you are thinking, man, couldn't I just stay seated? I'm asking you to humble yourself and to put God first. So I'm not going to make this easy on your flesh. I want you to stand while everybody's head is up and your eyes are open so that you'll get the maximum humiliation out of this. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to pray that this won't work if you're seated. (laughs) Well, look at the people jumping up. See, some of you were going to bootleg this prayer. You were thinking, I must, I'm going to stay seated so that nobody will know I'm self-centered, but I really need this. No, I'm, it won't work. I'm going to pray it won't work if you're still seated. You got to stand in order to get this. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what, if you've understood what I've said properly, and if you are responding, this is going to make a huge difference in your life. This is going to start something in your life that could totally transform you. It could change the course of your life. Amen? Father, I pray for all of these who are standing right now. And Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Father, that... I thank you for these truths. Father, thank you for the freedom and the liberty of knowing that there's something more important than just ourself and our own things. Father, thank you that there are... for the kingdom of God, for people's lives that can be changed. Father, thank you that we can find something bigger than ourselves to live for. And so tonight, these people have humbled themselves. They've stood. We've crawled up on the altar. And Father, I ask for your fire of the Holy Spirit to fall right now and consume these sacrifices. I believe that right now, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is just lighting a fire on the inside of us that is going to make other people and the Lord more important than ourselves. Father, we humble ourselves right now and ask your forgiveness for just living for ourselves, for not thinking of other people. And Father, I know that you are merciful and that you forgive every single person, that there's no anger in your heart towards anybody. We just receive your love. And Father, I believe that you crawl up on the throne of every one of our lives and that we live for you more than we live for ourselves. And Father, your word says that you are faithful and just to keep that which we commit. So we've made a commitment and I believe you're going to keep us to it. You're going to hold us to it. And Father, you'll bring this back to our remembrance. And if we have to have a course correction before we get home, Father, we are going to respond. And we're going to put you and other people ahead of ourselves. We make this commitment and we welcome you to remind us and help us and keep us on track. And we agree and receive that right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Hallelujah. You can be seated.
Praise the Lord. You know, tonight, if you don't know Jesus, you may have prayed that prayer. And it's possible that by you praying that prayer that I just went through, you could have been born again if you didn't truly know Jesus. You could have been putting, committing your life to Him and trusting Him. But even if you had never done that before and if you made that commitment, the Scripture says that you need to make it publicly. And I'm going to give an invitation for anybody who has never made Jesus your personal Savior. You need to come down here and receive Him and confess it in front of other people. Also, once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential. You know, you can be religious without the Holy Spirit, but you cannot die to yourself without the Holy Spirit. It's like if you're standing in a mud puddle, you can lift your leg and you can clean one leg, but then you can't clean that other leg without sticking this one back. I mean, it's impossible for you to clean off your boots standing in a mud puddle. You've got to be lifted out of that. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes, gives you an ability to deal with yourself and to deal with these things that you cannot do by yourself. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is separate from salvation. And it includes speaking in tongues. That's not all that there is to it. But speaking in tongues is an important part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you speak in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch that turns on the power of the Holy Spirit. I promise you, if you don't speak in tongues, it's impossible for you to die to yourself to put God and other people ahead. You need the Holy Spirit to supernaturally enable you to do that. So if you've never been born again or if you've been born again, but if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I'd like you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you. If there's anybody here like that, here's some here. There's people all over. Anybody else, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. You know, if you don't speak in tongues, you ought to have your hand up. Somebody says, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray for you and give you a free book. I had not got a church for you to join. I'm not going to do anything. We're going to help you. Well, what if I go down there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. Man, there's nothing to lose. There's a lot to gain. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Come forward right now and let me pray with you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. This lady right here, I forgot the name of it, but she had some terrible disease and had tremendous pain. She has pain patches and some kind of a device that shocks her. And she's had constant pain for how many years? Nine years. And we prayed right before the service and she said she's no pain. She's gone through the whole service, no pain. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else want to come and receive? Hallelujah. Is there anybody down here who's never been born again? You don't know for sure that you have been saved. There's a lot of people that assume that they're saved because they go to church and they live a relatively good life and they think that that's salvation, but that's not it. The Bible says you have to make Jesus your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Is there anybody who's not sure you've done that? I need to pray with you first 
and make sure you're born again because you can't receive the gift until you receive the giver. Is there anybody who needs to pray and first of all, make sure that you're born again? Anyone? Anyone? This young man right there. Awesome. And here's another one down here on this end. Praise God. Are all the rest of you absolutely sure you're born again? You know, I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but there's just a lot of people today that think that, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? No. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles at the name of the Lord. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You got to do more than just believe that there's a God. You have to commit your life to Him. Are you sure? Here's another one. Anybody else? You need to pray and make sure. If you aren't sure, you probably haven't made Jesus Lord because the Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. Anybody else? I think there's four people. Anybody else want to just pray and make sure? Here's another one right here. Praise God. This is a great night for you. We prayed before the service and man, God really did something awesome in her life tonight. Amen. What I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you in praying a prayer. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer that does that. And if I want everybody, if they would, to pray with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And if you will say these words after me and mean it from your heart, you'll be born again. It's that simple. Jesus has already paid for your sin. All you've got to do is receive it. Okay? So I want you to pray this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? You believe that? Awesome. Awesome. You know, if you believe that with your heart, then the Bible says you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so every person up here now has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that God created you to fill with His Holy Spirit. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. Some people teach that you you have to get rid of all sin in your life. You can't have any problems in your life that God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. And if you could get clean without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Don't let some feeling of sin or unworthiness stop you. If you've got a problem, that you are a prime candidate to receive His power. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that He can empower you. So all we're going to do is just open up the doors of this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit. He's a gentleman. He won't force His way in. You have to give Him the permission and ask Him to come. So we're, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then I'd like our prayer ministers to come up here. These are people that we've trained and they're going to come up here and they're going to stand behind you 
And the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. So after we pray and open up our hearts and welcome the Holy Spirit to come, then these prayer ministers are going to lay hands on you and they're going to release the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. Don't go by how you feel. Sometimes people feel things. Sometimes people shout, scream, run, jump, fall. But you know, when I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't do any of that. It was, it was an unemotional thing for me, but boy, I knew that I received the Holy Spirit. And so after they lay hands on you, I just want you to believe that you receive. The Bible says, Luke eleven thirteen. if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. He said he would give the Holy Spirit to you if you ask. So after we pray, after they lay hands on you, I want you to just start thanking him that his word's true and that he gave you the Holy Spirit. After they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like this because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. It's your way of saying, God, I just receive. I believe that I receive. Amen. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Amen. This is your way of yielding to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that have the Holy Spirit, we're going to start praying in tongues. And as we start praying in tongues, I want you to just join in and start praying in tongues with us. And I know some of you think, well, what do you do? How do you say it? What do you, what do you say? I've got a book that I'm going to give you. I haven't got more time to explain to you, but if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but it'll come out different. Your tongue is going to be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's, but you got to talk. The number one thing that stops people from speaking in tongues is they think that the Holy Spirit's going to force it. Like if you, you know, you feel like you're going to throw up and you just can't stop it. The Holy, it's not like that. It says that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It's like when I spoke tonight, I believe that God spoke through me. But He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I talked. That's the reason it came out with my examples, my personality. It was me speaking, but I believe it was inspired of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is like that. It's you talking. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk in tongues. He inspires you, and then you speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for these that prayed and made sure that they were born again. We believe that we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of these temples. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives right now. We want your power. We want the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help us over ourselves, to speak in tongues and to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we open up our hearts right now and welcome you in. We lay hands on you and in the name of Jesus, we say receive the Holy Spirit. Father, we loose the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of these right now. Oh, right here is the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing. Let's put your hands in the air right now and go to thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. 
thank you, Father, that I am now filled with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this gift of speaking in tongues. Father, we worship you. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start praying in tongues right now. And let's start worshiping the Lord. And as we pray in tongues, we want you to speak with us. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. You're going to have to quit speaking in English. And you're going to have to speak in a language that you don't know. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and speak. Just speak out right now. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a little baby first speaks, it doesn't really sound like mama or daddy. But that kid knows what that child is saying. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. And as you get over the newness of it, it'll come out. It'll just flow out of you. Don't worry about it. God is listening to your heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just speak out. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Be bold with it. Be bold. Speak out. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I think most of these are praying in tongues. What it looks like, I can't hear everyone, but it looks like that they are speaking in tongues. I believe that you receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? This is important, what's happened to you. It's the second most important thing that could ever happen. First is being born again. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit will revolutionize your life. But you've got to understand what happened. You know, I nearly lost it when I first received the Holy Spirit because I was taught that it was of the devil. And I questioned it. And I struggled with it. But I finally got my questions answered. And now I understand a lot more about what this is about. And it is one of the most important things that's ever happened. But you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. So I've got a book that I want to give every one of you. This book deals with what is true salvation and also the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And so it's important that you get this and read it and get a full understanding of what happened. And whether you spoke in tongues or not tonight, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit. So you just need to believe it and continue until you start speaking in tongues and let this have its full impact in your life. Robert is standing right here in the aisle with his Bible up. And if you would go with Robert, he's going to give you a free book. If you have any questions, if you didn't speak in tongues and you want someone to continue to pray with you or whatever, they'll help you. But if you would, just follow Robert. He'll give you a free book and help you out. Thank you, Jesus. That's great. These are our prayer ministers. You know, these are people, some of them I've known a very, very, very long time. <laughs> very long. 
Steve and Joanne here. Or is that right? Yeah, 32 years. 32 years. I met them in Arizona. And uh, anyway, they told me that they just started a church here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I just heard about that. But all of these people, many of them are Bible college students. They've all been through a training with Ashley and Carly and Robert. And these people are prepared and ready to minister to you. They are also here before the service every night. If any of you would like to come early and also in the morning. But if you want prayer, I want to give you an invitation to come right now. I know a lot of people think that I'm the one that has to pray for you, but we're trying to break that. I don't have a special anointing. It's Jesus that heals. It's a person taking their authority and just praying a prayer of agreement. These people can do it. So if you need prayer for anything, I want you to come right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. Just get up out of your seat. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a prayer minister. And we do that so that everybody won't just line up on one side. They'll help spread everybody out. But if you need prayer for anything, come right now and let someone pray with you. The rest of you, we've got CDs and also DVDs of tonight's service already duplicated out there. And you're welcome to get those. And, uh, of course, we have all of our materials. Charlie and Jill have their CDs. We have our Bible College uh, desk out there for the Dallas Bible College, also for our Colorado Springs CBC. And you're welcome to stay and pray with us if you'd like. We're going to stay here and pray with all of these people, and we're going to see miracles happen. But if you need to go, a lot of people have already left, but now you are officially dismissed if you need to go. Thanks for coming, and we'll be back tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, tomorrow night 7 o'clock, Saturday morning 10 o'clock, and Saturday night it starts at 6 p.m. instead of 7. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree with all of these in the name of Jesus, and we believe that, Father, your healing power is flowing right now. Every disease is being dealt with right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your healing power flowing right now. You know, the Lord's just speaking to me right now that there's a lot of people whose deaf ears are being opened. I assume that you aren't totally deaf or you wouldn't be able to hear what I'm saying. But if you have a partial deafness or one ear deaf, if that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's Susan right here, right? She's raising her hand. Who else is having problems with your hearing? Here's another woman right here. Anybody else? Here's a man right here. Anybody else? If you're having problems with your hearing, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's another one right here. Here's one way in the back. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I believe that that's the Holy Spirit that spoke that you are healing them right now. Deafness, we command you to go. We command ringing in the ears to stop now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you loose them and let them go now in the name of Jesus. 
And Father, I loose your power. I believe that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is touching every one of these right now, Father, that their ears are open in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, ears you open. Hearing you come back to these people now. Command the ringing in the ears to stop for the volume to increase. Father, we release this anointing right now and thank you that ears are opening up that we are going to hear clearly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I called out something similar to that. And a man who had been a friend of mine for many years, he received prayer and he didn't see anything happen at that exact moment. But the next day he went walking on a gravel trail and he realized he could hear his footsteps. He hadn't been able to hear like that in years. And within, you know, by in the next morning, 12 hours, his hearing had totally come back. I believe that God's opened up your ears tonight believe you are going to see a difference. Father, we thank you for these healings. We just receive your miracles. Father, we receive you touching people's lives. Boy, here's people's knees being healed. People that have been struggling with your knees. You could have a problem with cartilage. You could have, uh, I don't know whatever it is. If you got pain in your knees, problems with your knees, here's the healing power of God right now healing you. Who's this that has problem with your knees? If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand so I can see who this is. Here's, here's some here. Praise God. Anybody else? Here's one over here. Over here. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that these knees are healed right now. We command the problem here. If it's arthritis, whatever, Satan, we command you to loose them and let them go. We rebuke this pain and whatever is causing this pain, we command it to stop right now in the name of Jesus. Pain you leave right now. Amen. Boy, here's the healing power of God. I want you to begin to move your knees around. Begin to move. Do something you couldn't do. Right here is the healing power of God. All of this pain. Leave your body right now. Get out of these bodies in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we receive these healings right now. Thank you, Jesus. Who in here can already tell a difference? Can't feel the difference yet? You're healed, Julia. You're healed. Anybody else? Anybody here? Here's a difference over here, man. There's a lot of people. Thank you, Father. Father, we receive this. We receive these healings right now. We believe that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Father, we thank you for it. Amen. Man, that's awesome. I don't know what all's happened down here, but I believe that we've already heard uh, deafness has been healed, knees have been healed. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, it looks like everybody's getting prayer who wanted prayer. That's awesome. 
Remember, we'll be back at 10 in the morning, so uh, I encourage you to come back. I believe that this is going to be a good series as we continue to go through this. So come back and be with us in the morning, 10 o'clock. You're dismissed.